Our guest today, Mark Wong, is someone who we got to meet several years ago in New York City. We were there for a conference, and because Mark lived in the city, we'd never met him before, even though we had talked with him many times uh, and you know, corresponded a lot with him and, and really liked him. We, it, we had this opportunity to get to see him face to face. And so before the conference we had that he was not attending, but we were, he, uh, we, he came for dinner. And we just had a delightful, a delightful evening with him, uh, just getting to know him better, understanding his history, uh, you know, where he was born and, and, and what was going on in his life, as, as well as the, the work that he, that he did and, and the, his passion for listening. And so we're just very happy to have a friend on the podcast today and to, to get to help, um, help our listeners get to know him too. Yeah, and I think that that meal with him really cemented our relationship in a lot of ways. Um, it yeah. started out, as I mentioned in the conversation through Twitter, I had just found Mark, stumbled upon some of his, his tweets, and the next thing you know, we're in New York City enjoying a meal together. And I know Michael and I have made a habit Oftentimes when we travel and prior to the pandemic, we did far more traveling together, mm -hmm. but we always just try to make the most of our, our time wherever we are with any connections that we have. So if there's somebody in a city that we know of and we're available, we would love to, to join them for a meal. And so Mark was one of those people. We had struck up a, a connection with him and found a lot of similar uh, values that we shared together. And so we just reached out to him and, he quickly said yes. So we uh, we enjoyed a, a really nice meal. And then the next thing you know, he's a guest on our podcast. And we're also looking for other opportunities to work together in the future, as we as we talked about in our previous episode with Victor as well. So again, welcome to the Someone to Tell To podcast. We're just so delighted that you continue to join us here in season three. It's hard to believe, but this is episode number 40. Can you believe that? Wow. I can't believe that. I, yeah. Seriously, we've done 40 of them? 40 episodes. Wow. Mm -hmm. Can't even imagine. So let's uh, tell you just a little bit about Mark Wong. Mark Wong's father was born in Mauritius. His mother was born in South Africa. He was born in Hong Kong. He has lived in Hong Kong, Canada, and the U.S. He first learned about listening when he volunteered as a telephone crisis center more than 20 years ago since then he has been passionate about the subject he has listened to friends sales customers computer end users and consulting clients he finally decided a few years ago to give up his financially secure job configuring firewalls for the privilege of speaking and writing about listening his passion for listening quickly turned into a mission his book, Thank You for Listening, which we'll talk about in this interview and conversation together, was cited as an invaluable self-improvement guide by Midwest Book Review. His fresh approach makes powerful listening ideas come alive. His goal is to inspire everyone to understand and respect others. So with all of that, we're delighted to have Mark on the program today. So, Mark, 
thank you for joining us from Hong Kong today on the Someone to Tell It To podcast. I'm excited to be here. We're excited to have you as well. Thanks. For those of you who are listening, you might be interested in, in how we got to know Mark. Our connection actually began through, twi through Twitter. In the early years of Someone to Tell To, I, Tom, handled all of our social media channels, including Twitter. And I started following other leaders from around the world who actively talked, wrote about, and preached about the importance of listening. I started noticing this Twitter handle called Eight Step Listen and the tweets that were being put out and loved every single one of them. For example, I listen, therefore you are. Don't just take turns, talk. Take turns to listen. Nobody is ever going to complain you're spending too much time listening to them. Don't listen so you can solve the problem. Listen so you can experience the story. With those tweets being put out to the world, we could jokingly say, Mark Wong had us at hello. We then reached out and asked to set up a phone conversation, which then turned into two or three. And then fast forward another year or two, and Michael and I were attending a conference featuring the author and communicator we quote and write about all the time, Dr. Brene Brown. And it was in up, uptown New York City where Mark was living at the time. And we decided to reach out to Mark and ask if he would join us for dinner in the city, to which he readily agreed. So fast forward another year or so and several mutual events we've been a part of together. And now here we are. So again, welcome, Mark. Glad to be here. Mm -hmm. So how about we start with this today, as we've been doing with several of our guests in 2020 by asking you, what has been the most challenging part of 2020 in relation to the pandemic? And what's been a silver lining that has helped you rise above those challenges? The biggest concern of mine would be my mother because of her advanced age. And uh, in terms of a silver lining, um, because everyone is now more familiar with virtual meetings, it's actually become a little easier to work with people across geographical distances. We found that to be true with our own work as well. In fact, uh, we've jokingly said sometimes that people have been extra gracious when there's been technology issues. For those of you who are tuning in here, we just had our big annual event a few weeks ago, and no one ever knows, as we've talked about off camera, Mark, some of the editing that's involved in the process of, of putting something out, uh, an event for, for other people to see. And it does take a lot of time and energy and effort. And we had plan this big annual gathering to, to go live and, and Clark, our editor, and our technician behind the scenes here, he, uh, he had worked diligently the week leading up to the event and we just had some delays. Our, our, our keynote uh, speaker was in a severe car crash that week and so she, she was unavailable when we needed to do the recording and then the d deadline got pushed back a few days. But then, uh, you know, we, we ended up putting the event out and there was definitely some editing errors that uh, we wanted to have amended, but we just decided, you know, people are going to be understanding in this time that we're, we find, we all find ourselves in. And so we put the event out there and then Clark uh, was gracious enough to spend an entire Sunday afternoon re-editing the, uh, the program. And then we, we pulled it uh, off the web and then we put it back up again a day or two later. And, and so for those of you who are listening, that's still available 
and you can find it on our website, someone to tell to.org. And, and Tom is actually being very humble here. I looked at, I looked at the video and I couldn't, the production value is pretty high. It's, it's good. I mean, when I put something out, it looks like a grade school project. Uh, there's does not look like a grade school project. Well, that, that, that's all because of Clark. Well, yeah, it is. We, we can't take any credit for that. <laughs> and we're, we're so grateful for him. So thank and you. Clark for that. Trust. And he's the one who will edit this this interview so he'll hear that and we'll, we're glad that he that he'll hear your compliment there uh, when he does this and what people also don't know is that we had to start we had to stop and start this the, our, our connection for this interview today because things weren't working right we, there was we couldn't hear one another very well and and then we had to they had to trade computers and two of us had to trade computers and we we had to, it took some time to get back on and find the questions again and and work this all out so i just we're giving you, you all the backstory and the secrets behind uh what what we hope will look really smooth when it's out there but <laughs> till we get there it's kind of tough so we're Who's, glad who said who said teaching listening is easy yeah it's <laughs> It's not. And um, we're glad that, Mark, that we consider you a friend. So we feel more comfortable with you if, if we're having these problems. That somebody who can understand and be more gracious with us about this. So thank you. I, I used to be a tech guy, so I'm, 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 I'm not doing very well here, actually. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we're going to move now past our problems, we hope, our technical problems, and, and, and really get to the heart of, of of what we hope is a great conversation for everyone. I want to ask you, you say, you begin in your book, Thank You for Listening, with a famous quote from Ernest Hemingway, uh, which reads, I like to listen. I have learned a great deal from listening carefully. Most people never listen. Ernest Hemingway's statement is a pretty strong one. So could you take us back to what led you to shift gears out of your career uh, to, as you say, go all in on listening, specifically by starting, you know, volunteering for a community telephone crisis center? It was it because you too felt as Hemingway did, as if most people don't listen? So this goes back a long time. Uh, I was in my early 20s living in Canada. And as you mentioned, I was I'm born in Hong Kong. So at the time, I had only been living in Canada for just a few years. So here I am um, from halfway across the world. And I'm at this crisis center and I'm listening to people and I'm understanding them. And maybe perhaps even making a connection with them. So this is incredible. Um, we have this huge capacity to understand and, and connect with other people. Um, and this is something that has stuck with me all this time. Now, fast forward a few years and I was having an argument with someone. And afterwards I was talking to my friends and one friend started interrogating me. Uh, did you do this? Did you try this? Did you try that? And a different friend uh, started to tell her stories instead of listening to mine. And both of them failed to listen to me. And so I, I said to myself, what's happening? I need to do something about this. So as a result, I wrote a book and then fast forward a few more years and here we are today. Well, also in that book, in the first chapter, you start with the question, why bother to listen? <laughs> so we'll ask you, why bother to listen? What did you find out? 
Uh, that's a good question. So uh, Rene Descartes has a, a famous quote, I think, therefore I am. And I adapted his quote, and I say, I listen, therefore you are. So we are very much a product of the stories about ourselves, uh, the stories from our childhood, the stories of all the major milestones in our, in our lifetimes. Um, we, we, we are the stories that we tell about ourselves. So when we listen to other people, we're letting them tell their stories. So for example, I can listen to a guy talk about his nine to five job and how it's boring and how he really wants to open a bakery or something else. I'm letting him talk about his hopes and dreams I'm letting him talk about his current frustrations, who he is, who he is now. I can also listen to him talk about uh, his financial planning, how he's saving money to, to eventually open this bakery. I can help him talk about what he wants to become in the future. So that's one reason. And another reason is because life is just amazing. It's full of ups and downs and laughs and tears. And it's a shame if we're not able to share all of this wonderful, weird stuff with anybody else. And finally, there's a very practical reason for us to listen to each other because we have to live and work with each other. We got to be able to coordinate. We got to be able to plan. Uh, and listening is a huge part of that. And for all of us in the midst of this pandemic, we're spending an extra amount of time with each other. So we, we have to work twice as hard to, to listen well. In fact, yesterday I spent uh, part of the afternoon uh, on a run. I'm a runner as Michael is too. And I was on a run with a good friend of mine. And he jokingly said, you know, in the midst of this run, we spent a good bit of time just talking and listening to each other about some of the things we've both been going through. And he jokingly asked, he's like, so I know you do this professionally and, and it's, it does come out of your own story and it's, it is who you are. How, how do you listen at home? And that's always the, you know, the, the magic question is, are we able to transfer this to, um, to, to really come out of who we are? So it's not something, it's not just a checklist. It's not something we do when it feels comfortable, uh, but it's something it does uh, become a part of, of who we are and, and all the people that we interact with, including our, and especially our own families. Oh, abs absolutely. It's not something we just teach. Um, um, it's not something we just teach business people to do. And what we teach has to work at home first. Uh, it's, it's very important. And it, it, it does indeed, uh, it should work with our closest relationships first and then we take it to our business relationships, and then we take it to even wider and wider circles. Um, it's the things we talk about. I, I hope today will come across or will be clear that it's actually very practical mm -hmm. uh, and and very sophisticated at the same time. So, how about this? How about we start with the question: What is listening? Sure. Uh, to listen, uh, the way I put it, is to put someone else's speaking, thinking, and feeling needs first. Um, and the, the most amazing things that we're able to say are actually not easy to say things like, I love you, I'm sorry, or, um, uh, I have an idea. Uh, and also I've, I've just been diagnosed. Um, a lot of these things are actually not easy to say, and we need to have good listeners to, to tell us who won't laugh at us or who won't just ignore us or, or not respond the way we, you know, want them to respond. A lot of those statements are quite loaded and they have, they are full of expectations. Um, so without a good listener, it's not easy to say those things. So um, 
what we're trying to do is to, in a sense, we want, we want people to be able to speak with more candor, more honestly, with more insight, more thoughtfully, and with more dignity. We don't just want people to be angry or upset. We want to have some dignity come out of the conversation, if possible. Now, we're, of course, we're not going to force that on people, but we want it to organically come out, if possible. You use the illustration that a good listener pays as much attention to the speaker as a good poker player does at the gambling table. Do you want to explain that in that illustration for us, what you mean by that and, and why you use that one? Sure, sure. Um, so paying attention, we, it's something we tell everybody to do when, when you're listening to someone, you should pay attention. And it's a little bit like tying your shoelaces. You know how to do it, but it's hard to explain to someone else how to do it. So if you think about poker uh, or any other, most other types of card games, there's actually a lot of stuff happening. You have to observe the other players. You have to see if they have any poker tells. Uh, are they revealing how strong their hand is? And you have to be aware of your own reactions. You have to keep track of the sequence with which people are performing their bets. And you have to track the, the ultimate uh, bottom line. Are you winning or losing money? So there's really a lot of stuff going on and any and card players will know all of this. Um, now, listening is very similar to that. You have to observe the other person, look at their body language, the tone of their voice, are they fidgeting and so forth. You have to be aware of your own reactions to what is being said. And you have to keep track. How did they say it? In what sequence did they say it? And also, what's the bottom line of the story? Uh, who's the winner? Who's the loser? Um, what is at stake in this story? Um, so... By using something that is commonplace, such as playing poker, we can actually bring a lot of insight into, into um, these listening ideas that are actually very abstract. And so we can bring insight and, relate, and make it relatable to people. Mark, are you a poker player? <laughs> actually, I'm not, but I okay. used to enjoy watching uh, mm -hmm. uh, Texas Hold'em uh, on, I can't remember what channel. Um, yeah, ESPN. Probably. Do you guys play poker at all? I have. Absolutely. I, I, I don't play in a casino per se, but I have played with friends and um, it's something we, especially when I was back in, when I was in college, which was seemingly a long time ago now, uh, we did play quite often. Yeah. And I think you will agree. There's a lot of stuff that goes on mentally. And when you focus on, on playing poker or playing cards, uh, there's a lot of things happening. And so when you listen to your spouse at the end of the day, and if you're not using the same amount of focus as you do when you play poker, then it means something is not quite right. You're not really paying full attention there. I think your point's a valid one because for those who, who have played poker, I mean, you try, especially in a long poker match to, to really truly um, read people's body language and, and their nonverbals. Uh, are they bluffing? Are they going to go all in? Uh, it's, it's essential if you're going to, you know, be able to kind of hold your own game, um, you know, be able to, to, to last, you, you need to be able to, to pick up on some of those, those signs. Right. And, and when you're playing poker, there are certain moments that are more critical than others. You know, the exact moment when someone is placing a bet, now, when we listen to other people, if I notice someone is crying or if I see tears, 
I go into an extra focused mode and I start paying more attention and I, I even I'll, I'll move closer in or or maybe I'll reach out reach for a um, Kleenex or something. But I change when I see something interesting happening with with the speaker. Yeah, I think we 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 hope we do too. Uh, the, 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 so many of the nonverbals are extremely significant in when we are listening to, to people. We um, we were talking with someone with whom we were. Um, sharing a meal at one point, and uh, they, we could see that push. They began talking about something. It was very serious. We could tell because he, instead of eating while he was talking, or you know, he just kept pushing the food around on his plate. There was a, a sense of nervousness. He wasn't saying it, but we could notice just what he was doing with his food. Said how difficult what he was telling us was for him. Mm-hmm. And that I think that that enabled and inspired both of us to listen more intently because we knew this was at the heart of the matter of yeah, of yeah, trying to tell yeah. and and those are also um if the situation is is appropriate, those are good moments to say, um hey, if would it, you be would you be more comfortable if we you know went outside for a walk or do something else so you're more comfortable um but I'm, I'm not saying you guys did not handle it, um, but uh, I'm sure you guys know exactly how to react dynamically to the, to the changing situation. And it's, it's very dynamic. There's a lot of stuff that can happen while we're listening to people. Yeah. Absolutely. So Mark, how do we inspire and not simply teach individuals to listen? Uh, so what we have to be, we have to be very clear what the benefits are for people uh, and the benefits have to start at home. We have to be able to, uh, listen to our in in our most private relationships, and people have to see the benefits. Um, a lot of times, we we teach these materials. It's in a corporate setting. Uh, it could be in a hospital. I, I know you guys do a lot of work with hospitals, um, but the things we we do has to resonate, and it has to. People have to say, "Hey, this will work with my kids. This will work with my spouse. Um, I should definitely try this at home," and they should come back and say, "Yeah, it does work." So we have to be very clear what the benefits are and uh, start at home, work our way out to um, uh, people's uh, work relationships and then expand the circle even, even bigger. And then whenever appropriate, we should be able to show people that they know a lot already. So if you're a poker player, you, you know a lot already about the dynamic between two people and observing. So this builds confidence. It's, it, it reinforces what people already know. Hey. I know a lot about this already, but at the same time, hopefully it gives people, um, we let people know that there's room for growth. So as I said before, if you're not paying the same amount of attention to your spouse as you do when you play poker, then that means you're falling short somewhere. Uh, So again, to inspire people, we have to make it relatable. We have to make it matter. And then we have to make it personal as well. We're talking a lot about individuals and how we listen to them and, and teach and inspire. How do we inspire the culture at large and get this message and the ideas and the concepts about why listening is so important to, to a larger audience and to the, to the world in general? Yeah, this is a, this is a huge problem. So 
in the U.S., fortunately, um, we know how to reduce conflict on the roads. We use safe driving. Um, it's very familiar to people, uh, and people accept it. They use it. They do it. So uh, we can reduce conflict on the roads. We can reduce conflict in society. We teach people, we teach everyone to listen instead of yielding to other motorists. We teach everyone to check their biases, which is similar to checking their blind spots. And we teach people to reject ideological rage, which is similar to road rage. So in other words, we can reduce inequality and division. Or in, in order to do this, we have to promote listening and other related ideas on a wide scale, similar to how safe driving is promoted on a wide scale. Mark, one of the things we want to spend time with you on, because we experienced this through our work at Someone to Tell To all the time, is folks trying to console others in, in their suffering using statements like, it'll work out, time heals everything, maybe it was all for the best. How do we avoid saying these kinds of inappropriate things? What would be better responses when someone tells you about the painful, challenging, or rough time they're going through? Also, based on your learnings, how do we comfort and encourage? So let's, let's imagine all three of us actually went to the movies um, right now. Uh, it could be a Shakespearean movie or a superhero movie. It doesn't really matter. So we're, we've watched half the movie and things are getting exciting. Um, this is, we're getting to the climax. A lot of emotions are going back and forth. And then someone in the crowd, someone else who's in the theater, they say, it'll work out. Time heals everything. Maybe it was all for the best. Now, these comments are jarring. And the reason is because stories have a structure. Um, the movie spends the first half of the time building up the background, explaining the background to us, and getting us to like the main character. And then when we get to the climax, there's all kinds of emotions going back and forth. There's moments followed by other tenser moments and um, happy moments, sad moments. And then after the climax, the story has to resolve itself properly. It, we, we love stories to have meaning. We don't like it when a story ends and an alien comes in and hide, uh, um, kidnaps the main character and then that's the end of the story. We're not happy with that kind of thing. So um, stories have to have a, a, a meaningful ending as well. Now, when people say some of these random comments, it doesn't honor the past or it doesn't respect the current moment or it doesn't help to, to move things forward in people's stories. So that's actually what the real problem is. And in order to, to support people properly, we need to um, respect the history. Why is it uh, that uh, this particular disease is so devastating? Uh, why is this loss so hard to bear? What's the history behind it? And then the moment. Uh, people can change. Um, right now, I feel this way, but the next hour, I may feel different. And tomorrow, I may feel different again. And we have to go along with that. And then we have to help people move forward. Uh, how can we, in a healthy manner, help people um, not necessarily forget or not necessarily, um, we can't erase things, but we can help people with small steps to, to move forward. So a very quick, uh, simple rule is, if it's a comment that you would not make in the movie theater, then you should not say it to someone who is grieving or who is who is um, ill. And what you have to do again is to respect the past, the current moment, and then help people move forward in the future. Mm -hmm.
I'm Sharon. And I'm Pensy. We are volunteers at Wonders Found Thrift Shop and proud sponsors of the Someone to Tell It To podcasts. Wonders Found is a totally volunteer-run thrift shop begun to support our mission team as they rebuild homes in disaster areas. We also support local missions and people experiencing homelessness, veterans, and children and youth outreaches. We provide clothing and household items to families displaced by fire or flood. You can learn more at our website, mountcalvaryumc.org backslash wondersfound, or stop in to see what wonders you will find at 7810 Allentown Boulevard. God bless. There are a lot of things you've written, Mark, that, that we really like. And this is another statement that we want to read that resonated with us very much. And we'd like you to talk more about this. You've stated that when it comes down to it, no technique can replace sincere sympathy and a genuine desire to help. I'd like to hear where that came from and uh, what, you, what you think about that. Oh, uh, that's a good. So it came from the original idea came from a book called um, The Art of Fiction by John Gardner. And I got I, I, I was exposed to the book through a creative writing course in in college. Uh, and in the book, he's he talks about writing techniques and how writing techniques really have to uh, they, they don't dictate what um it's the story itself that dictates what writing techniques you use. And, and actually in a lot of different fields, whether you're playing the piano or whether you're uh, cooking a special meal or whether you're uh, rebuilding a car or doing something mechanical, the techniques are important. You need it, but it's what you care about first. Uh, you may want to customize the car a certain way and it will affect what techniques you use. Um, you may want to customize your, your, um, your meal a certain way because your your daughter likes it a certain way or whatever. There's a special meaning to it. So the care comes first and then the techniques help you to, to bring it together. And the two have to go to, together, these two things, uh, attitudes and techniques. And a lot of times uh, I see a number of articles out there when they talk about listening, they, they do one of two things. They sometimes uh, emphasize techniques alone. And sometimes that will make the whole subject sound boring and mechanical and formulaic. Um, and the other error you can run into is you talk about attitudes alone, be present and pay attention, but you don't give any details, any techniques. And then when you do that, it can become too vague. Yeah, of course we should pay attention, but you know, how do I actually do some of these things? So to do it properly, we need to talk about listening as a really sophisticated art form. It's got the two parts, the attitudes and the techniques, and they come together. When they come together, that's when the magic happens. I think we resonate very much with that, Mark, when you, as, you, as you explain that and talk about that, because we, we often get asked, you know, tell me that the top five things I need to do to listen better. And it's, it's really all about the technique. You know, what, 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 what's my technique? What, what's the magic potion that's going to to make me a good listener and we we get frustrated with that question because we know that that's not enough 
And we believe that it, it, it does start with an attitude. And, and, and what we tell people is that you have to believe that everyone has something to say as well. And that everyone, that we, you genuinely believe that everyone has significance and deserves to be heard and, and needs to tell their story, for example. Um, and then that's where it starts. But then, that, yes, there are techniques that you can can do to show that you're listening to help to help with distractions and 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 your wandering mind and all those kinds of things. But um, we we believe that the, the two do go hand in hand. You have to have both, and to really be an effective and um, meaningful listener. So thank you for thank you for resonating with what we resonate with as well. As you were describing about a genuine desire to help, uh, we were thinking about our own work and we, we uh, intentionally chose the word compassionate listening because the word compassion in, in the root in the Latin is pati cum, which means to suffer with. And I think a lot of people throw around these terms like I'm going to offer compassion to people and they don't always know the extent of what it means. And, and, and also another word you use was care. And in the, the, the root of the word to care is to lament, to grieve. And, and so, you know, even in our work with some businesses, we're trying to create a culture of caring, which means we've raised the question with some business leaders of how much time are you spending truly caring and lamenting and grieving with your employees, especially right now in the midst of the pandemic. And so even today, when we began our conversation together, asking, you know, what's something that's especially challenging uh, amidst the pandemic for you? It does foster a context where uh, vulnerability can happen and you're able to describe, you know, some of the things that are, are not so easy to, to, to face. Uh, that that to, to us is truly caring about somebody and, and creating a, a culture of care. So my own approach has been to try and use business language as much as I can, because uh, I, I, my feeling is that a lot of some people resist the idea of wanting to learn more about listening for whatever reason. So I try to I try to use business language as much as, as possible, but I, I do like to use the word grace and I don't use it in a I don't think I use it in a, in a biblical sense, in a religious sense. Uh, but I do believe that uh, leaders should um, graciously share their best with others. And the reason why they do that is so others, their staff, will also graciously share their best or do their best work. And then I said that to someone one time, and then she said, well, you're, that's naive. You know, why would you do that? Mm -hmm. And so I said, well, if, that, if you are the manager, you're the leader, and you think that's naive, then your staff are going to think the same way. If you act that way and believe that, then why should I do my best and, and be nice to the customers or do extra work or whatever? But if you are able to skillfully um, and graciously, um, almost with no strings attached, um, share your best with your staff and with your, your loved ones as well. If you're able to do, to do that, people will also respond. Uh, they will. That's how you inspire people to to be their best. So to me, it's a. This is actually a a very important leadership skill that you that you need to cultivate. Mm -hmm. well, where do you think the, the that the word naive came from? Uh, from this this woman, 
why do you think she thought that what you were talking about was naive? Uh, I see. Uh, well, there's a lot of cynicism. Um, why did she think, she think it was naive? Um, and so cynicism is one is perhaps one reason. And a lot of times when we deal with people, it's it's a transaction. You know, you're you we're testing we test out the waters. If that guy is nice, I'll be nice. But if that guy is mean, I'm not going to be nice to him. So we oftentimes uh, have a tra transactional relationship with people. It's not a let me be nice first and, you know, invite them to be nice to me in return. So uh, and in a sense, that's also partly an education issue. So we need to teach more people to um, take the first step to be nice. And uh, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with Adam Grant. Uh, he, he's written a book, uh, Give and Take, and he talks about some of these things. Uh, have you have you heard about it? No, I'm not familiar with it. Okay, yeah. Um, if you're interested, you can look at it because he, he talks about some people, he calls them givers, some people are takers, and then in the middle are matchers people who will just match your behavior if you are nice first i'll be nice to you but if you screw me first i'm not going to be nice to you you know either um but um again if we go back to the the driving analogy uh why do we teach people to yield first why do we teach people to be nice first um even if the other driver is wrong why do we still yield because if we keep being selfish if we keep uh waiting for for other people to be nice first uh, it's just not going to work um, the best way to do it is to be nice as much as you can and invite people to to do it as well and in terms of listening that means letting people talk first letting them get their complex thoughts and feelings out first before we try to to even um, convince people or, or or persuade people so it's very um Yielding in traffic works. We all know it works. And we need to apply that more in our other dealings um, with, with people. In our recent interview, uh, in fact, it's probably the interview that's going to go live right before your interview is with Victor Pirau. I don't know if you ever met him through the International Listening Association. He's from the Netherlands. Yeah, he teaches uh, business. He's, he's doing work with some business groups in yeah in, in Netherlands. Yeah. Correct. Well, we had talked extensively in our interview with him about the ego and how the ego is the biggest roadblock using the, uh, the driving illustration uh, to, to, to listening well and, and to understanding. And Mark, we're living in a, a time that's fraught with a lot of polarization uh, and conflict. And you write in your book, knowing how empathy works gives you the tremendous ability to promote understanding and resolve differences. We must inspire everyone to see themselves in others, empathy, and see the best in others, positive regard. Uh, so how does empathy work? Uh, that's a very complicated question. Um, <laughs> so you, you guys both like to run. Uh, do you, are you into like um, Nike Vaporfly, that kind of thing? I'm not familiar with that term. No. Tell us more. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So this came out maybe two years ago. Uh, some guy under controlled conditions uh, used the newly minted Nike Vaporflies and broke a, a marathon record. Um, so 
it's so I guess you guys are not into running marathons. You you just it's not marathon running that you're that you half that you marathons. Do. I've no I've still yet to do my my yeah. full and I I've had it on my bucket list and I said I would do it before I turned forty. So I got one year left to get that accomplished. Mm-hmm. So so on the other hand, do you guys collect shoes at all? Do you like running shoes at all? Sure, like running shoes to be comfortable <laughs> to, and to help us run faster. Uh, certainly, certainly um, I don't necessarily collect a lot, a lot of them, though. Do you have like five pairs? Or... Mostly because they're expensive. <laughs> and so, you know, that's, there's that. <laughs> is there, is several, there anything? Several pairs, but, but, but that's it. Do you enjoy shopping for running shoes? I, I'm like a kid in a candy store when I go in there. But like ah. Michael said, I think the biggest thing is is purely cost. But I have a certain brand that I use, and I've used it every year for the last six years. Uh, this is not an endorsement of of the company or anything, but a bro- the company is called Brooks, and they make uh, the, the one of their primary um, shoe lines is is uh, it's called Ghost, and uh, it's a it's a pretty common brand. Um, that, that most runners are, are familiar with and the, they're the, the brand I've used for the last five or six years and they've been great. So I'm, I'm really glad you said you're like a kid in a candy store. Um, <laughs> so what happens is you probably, um, uh, you can, you, you, you enjoy window browsing. You don't have to buy anything. You can just go in a store and, and be happy. Right. Yep. And also uh, you maybe some once in a while you will impulse buy. Um, and maybe once in a while you you hoard the things that you you end up buying. Um, you you are reluctant to throw any of these old shoes away, or you have maybe shoes that you've never touched. You, they just sit there, but you don't want to use them, and you don't, and you definitely don't want to throw them away. Correct. So, so, so the reason why I talk about that is because um, now I have my own hobbies and passions and, and so forth. And I tend, I like uh, these robot toys and I'm exactly the same as you. I like to go window shop. Sometimes I will impulse buy. Uh, when I go to the shop, I imagine what I can do with the things. And when I buy something, I take it home. I open it up to look at it. I may not use it or, or do anything with it, but I have to look at it. Um, and then uh, I hold, I have four or five boxes of these toys that have not been touched at all. And nobody's allowed to touch it. You're not allowed to throw it away. You know, if you throw it away, it's a, it's a huge problem. So the reason why I talk about all this is because my hobby is totally different from yours, but uh, knowing what shoes to use in what situation takes a lot of know-how and in some sense, creativity as well. It takes a lot of learning to, to get to a point where you know which brand works for you and for running what distance under what conditions and so forth. And for me, it's taken me years to, to learn how to build these, these plastic model kits. Uh, so there's a lot of know-how as well. Now, even though uh, your, what you like is different from what, what I like, there's a lot of commonality and, and, the amount of sophistication I have with my hobby allows me to appreciate the amount of knowledge you have in yours. So through this commonality, I can see myself in you. Hey, we're, we're both like kids in a candy store when we <laughs> do these respective things. And I know how much time it takes to, for me to do one of these things properly. You know how much time it takes to try out these new shoes. Maybe just running one day won't, won't actually do it. You have to 
try it over different road conditions, different seasons, and so forth. So um, this activity of mine helps me admire your dedication and your knowledge in your activity. So a lot of times we talk about empathy and we say we need to imagine, uh, no pun intended, uh, putting ourselves in other people's shoes. But we don't, we don't well, actually, well played. I know it wasn't really intentional. That was good, Mark. <laughs> but uh, so we, we want to put ourselves in other people's shoes, but it's hard to do that from scratch. It's hard to do that with no basis at all. But it turns out I can use my hobby, my passion to mm -hmm. build a bridge across to your hobby hey, we have similar buying habits, similar hoarding, similar, I covet, I, I look at uh, toys that are maybe $200 and I want to have them, but I never buy them. You maybe look at shoes that are expensive. You want them, but you never buy them. And it's okay. It's fine. You know? um, so we have all this in common and we can use one, my interest in widgets to understand your interest in knickknacks and then build empathy that way. And when we do it through our own personal experiences, I think it's more meaningful and it's more durable when we, when we do it that way, as opposed to just uh, trying to imagine from scratch. Oh my goodness, how does it feel like to be a runner? I don't run, I hate running. <laughs> how, does it, how does it feel like to, to, to try out these Nike Vaporflies? Uh, I imagine it's really exciting because someone broke a, a marathon record, but you know, personally, I don't care. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's cool that these shoes can do that or, you know, that they have this history, whatever. But um, and I can, you know, I appreciate if someone is, is into it. Um, I'm not interested in it, but I can still have empathy for for someone who who does that. But in a I think you guys know what I'm saying. In a sense, I don't care. But in a sense, I understand it's very important. And again, we can apply this to the things that my wife buys. She maybe likes to buy jewelry or books or shoes or whatever. And if I didn't think about it, I might, it's easy to, for me to say, oh, women just are vain or, you know, men just keep, certain people just keep buying toys and they never grow up. It's easy to label people. You can say kids are just spoiled. They just keep wanting to buy toys again, you know, more and more toys. It's easy to label people, but that doesn't help us understand them. But it turns out we share all this mm. wonderful behavior in common. And when we highlight it and think about it, then we can see ourselves in others and see the best in others. And the reason why I say those two things is because Carl Rogers, the founder of client-centered therapy, he said uh, there are three necessary conditions for, for successful therapy. It's empathy, positive regard, and uh, congruence. So I don't talk much about congruence, but um, the first two, uh, empathy, which would be seeing ourselves in others, and then positive regard is seeing the best in others. It turns out empathy is actually not always enough. I need to admire you um, because of what you do with your hobby. If I don't admire what you do, then you know there's no reason for me to... to to change my behavior towards you. You're just a guy that likes shoes. That's all, you know, it's not a big deal, but because I appreciate my hobby and I've thought about it, I understand, Oh, it, you know, shoes have significance to people. Um, it's not just a matter of, 
um, the, the beauty of the shoes. It's also the functionality, how it makes you feel, how it, and more than that, how it, how it makes you complete your running goals. You know, that's really what it's all about, how it makes you feel good about running every day and so forth. So there's a lot of good stuff we can get out of it. It's not the toy that matters. It's not the hobby that matters. It's what, how it makes you feel. And that's very universal across different things. So I've said a lot of stuff here, um, but empathy uh, can be done if we use our own rich experiences. Use it by all means to understand other people's rich experiences. Make it meaningful to me personally uh, and also make it durable. Um, it's not just, oh, what's it like for women to be pregnant? Oh, I don't know. Uh, it must be hard. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'll never know because I'm a man. Um, in some cases, there are challenges. But in other cases, when, when they are available, we should try to use our experiences to understand other people. And once you've done that once, once you've successfully broken down your own I can't understand people barrier, then the next time it gets easier. Oh, I can understand callers uh, from a different culture, from um, a different gender with dealing with issues that I as a, a immigrant kid never had any experience with, but I can still understand them. And you folks, I'm sure you come across a lot of people with different experiences and you can. And, um, and it's actually, it's in a way, it's amazing that we can do all this stuff and we need to show people in a, as concrete a way as we can, how they can do it too. And again, one way to do it is, is to use everyday examples, concrete examples, um, relatable, insightful examples. You, used to, you, you said a, a word there that uh, also sparked something in me. The word was common. We, we like to find what we have in common. And I think this is what you're talking about. What do we have in common with one another? We might not collect the same things or have the same interests, but we all know what it's like to feel excited about an interest, to feel, to feel that joy when we are able to buy something or attain, obtain something that we love, whatever it may be. And it's, and it's connecting with those, those common feelings and common emotions that we all have for one thing or another, many things are, and many others that, that can help us to be able to connect then with one another and listen better because we know the feeling as well. We, we can resonate with that feeling that someone is expressing. And I would say Absolutely. problem, part of the problem, especially right now in, in this polarizing society, particularly in the United States that we find ourselves is people focusing immediately on what they don't have in common. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I don't like your hobby. Uh, so I, I'm not going to find any commonality as opposed to, as Michael's mentioning, finding the common ground first, the fact that we both have hobbies, we all three of us have hobbies. And it just so happens, Michael and I's hobbies are the same, but your hobby, we can appreciate the fact that you have a hobby and that I think what you're saying is that you, like us, are like a kid in a candy store in, in terms of doing research. I know as you were describing this, I kept thinking back to the last pair of sneakers I bought and I spent hours, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this, even though I knew the exact brand and the type of shoe I was going to purchase, I still, still spent hours online just researching what other runners are, are, are running in 
what what types of sneakers and and uh, and also I love looking at just the colors. Like, what what color am I going to get on my my sneaker the next go around? Even though I know the exact uh, brand and model I'm going to use, uh, it's still fun. And and so we can find a lot of yeah. We just have to start with what's common. Yeah, and I can imagine um, that the three of us there probably is a hobby that we all do share. I know Tom and I do, and I. My bet that you do too, Mark. You love books, don't you? Sure, yeah. You love to read. Well, I think we probably all collect books mm-hmm. uh, as well and find them to be very uh, obviously illuminating, inspiring, educational. Uh, we all like to write. We, I mean, there. So there. From there, we can. Even though we may have some different hobbies, we can also begin when we listen to one another and begin to grow to know one another more and more we realize that guess what we probably have some, that might be a hobby we would have in common too because our love of reading our love of books our, our love of learning um so it leads even even different hobbies when we listen to one another talk about them can lead us to understanding uh, and finding where we actually have some some in common too and the more we have in common with one another as human beings we, we believe the more we will listen the more we care and right absolutely so so um when we talk about trying to heal the country it's a lot of times people jump in and say oh okay democrats and republicans have or 60 percent or 80 percent of democrats and republicans agree to this or agree to that and i personally would rather people start with something that's not as uh, fraught with with divisiveness so such as shoes and and toys and and books and so forth i rather they do that first because this is not as hard to build common ground with if you say well 80 percent of the people across the aisle um believe in in um i don't know lowering taxes or raising taxes whatever on the rich whatever whatever the issue may be um, those are harder to do. So I feel that some of this work should be done as a primer sort of to prime people into to get them into a more cooperative, more understanding other kind of mood. So um, again, it's easy to, to I mean, you can you can get people to Republicans and Democrats to sit down and then jump right in, which I think is a bit a bit risky. Um, you can then appeal to other things. You can say, well, we should, we're all Americans. We should all be patriotic. We should all, but that doesn't work either because it's, you know, everybody knows, you know, you eat, you sleep and you love your kids, but you know, so what? It's not quite personal enough. So that's why I like, uh, that's why I try to do it the way I do it, um, which is to try and get it, per- make it personal. You, you love this stuff. You're like a kid in the candy store. And guess what? You can use it to understand other people. And then from there, uh, understand more groups of people, understand different types of people. Keep building that empathy circle or expanding that perspective circle. Make it a habit. Once you stretch your empathy muscles, they actually become stronger. So you do it once and then you keep doing it, make it a habit. And pretty soon, I think we'll, we'll be able to make some real changes in society. good stuff it really is thank you um here's another quote being a good audience is the basis of good listening it is the polite way to behave when someone else has something to say 
The big secret here is that we can be excellent audiences under the right circumstances. We recognize people have something uh, to share. We engage with the speaker and share his or her feelings. We acknowledge the story. So what makes a good audience, Mark? Um, great. Um, so what I would like to say is pretty much all of us have the experience of uh, being forced to listen to a boss or a client talk about their boring story. Uh, they went on a golf trip or they went on some trip somewhere, went to Europe or whatever. And we now we do it anyway. We be we, we know how to be a good audience for our client or a boss. And because we know it's valuable, uh, we know we want to be uh, polite, not just polite to our, our boss and, and client. We want them to think we're good guys. So again, this is an example where um, if we use, if we, if we, uh, we can actually use examples to show people they already know a lot. They already know how to be good audiences. Um, and I also want to actually point back to you guys um, because you folks once told me a story where you were invited to go to Midtown Manhattan. And then this guy took you on a tour around the block and he was saying uh, he went here with his loved one and he did this, he did that. And to me, that's an ex excellent example of you guys being an audience. Would you like to talk a little bit about that? Thanks you for remembering. Wow, that, that's impressive. First of all, you were you're a good listener. <laughs> you remember that. <laughs> I try. Yeah, it's a story we love to tell. Um, essentially, long, long story short. And for those of you who would like to hear and read the the longer version, you can you can find it in our second book, uh, "Someone to Tell to Moved with Compassion." But a, a gentleman had lost his wife uh, to cancer, and Michael had been connected with his his wife uh, long, long before we even got connected with him. But uh, he he uh, he just essentially reached out to us. It was actually over a holiday weekend, and uh, and we talked on the phone. He lived in New York City. We lived here in Pennsylvania, and he he just said, "I, I just wish somebody was was here with me to just essentially to sit with me in his pain and in his sorrow of over the loss of his of his wife." So we we looked at one another on the on the phone conversation that day and said, "You know what? We can do this." We had some flexibility in our schedule and, and it's essentially, it does align well with our mission at someone to tell to, to cultivate meaningful relationship, meaningful connections. So we, we hopped in a car and we went up to New York city and we spent an entire day with him, literally walking the streets of New York. And, uh, and, and he just started pointing out all of these, these locations where his wife worked, where they liked to eat food together some of their favorite hobbies that they enjoyed doing together, which included walking. And um, we, we, we hope we were being good audiences that day that, uh, that we were, we, we like to use the term witnesses to, to his story. And absolutely. Um, uh, witness is another good word. And I think you must've done something right. If he spent the whole day with you, because if you were not good audiences, he would have just cut you off and, Tell you to go back to Pennsylvania. Yeah, and then the well, story continued, and he invited us actually to to come up to his wife's memorial service and uh, to literally stand on the right and the left of him to just be present as she was being. I think the the correct term is interred, 
at uh, Fifth, Ave- Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. And we just, we, we were witnesses again to, to her passing and, and to the celebration of her life when not too many other people, he had a very small uh, connection base and, and, and very few relationships in his life. Yeah, it was one of the most meaningful experiences we've ever had. Mm. Uh, with someone to tell it to to enter so intimately and deeply into someone's pain and loneliness and grief was um sacred and powerful and we will we'll never forget that experience or for the or that man and um, just grateful that we have the ability and the um well just the ability to be able to be invited into people's lives like that and share um, some of the most, again, intimate experiences of their lives. So, so I would say you folks more than likely conducted yourself with grace and dignity, and that allowed him to share his pain and meaning, all the meaning, meaningful places, all the meaningful memories. Uh, I, I would say you folks also held your end held up your end of the bargain and made it possible for him to share in such a sacred manner, in such a personal manner. So I think you folks were excellent audiences or, or slash witnesses uh, for that man. Well, thank you. We surely hope that we were, we really do. So thank you. Very we'll be much. vulnerable before we move on a little bit more into this conversation. We'll be vulnerable about this too. I think one of the things that we've struggled with at times with someone to tell to and just listening in general is, is that we can't fix people's problems. And it, and that's a hard thing to just accept at times that we can't take away his pain. Uh, We can, we can help. uh, and, And, but we can't, there's no, as Michael mentioned earlier, there's no magic pill. There's no silver bullet to just take it all away. Uh, he was going to be grieving and it was not going to happen. His grief was, he's not just going to overcome his grief overnight and it's going to be a long and still is a long road. In fact, we've just recently heard from him again and he's given us permission to, to talk about his story because uh, you know, he knows this is a common thing that, that we're all going to, we say they all the time that grief is one of the talk about things that are, we all have in common. Grief is one of those things that we're all going to experience it. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually, it's it's a little bit worse than that. Um, not only can we not help people fix things, a lot of times we know it's going to get worse before it gets better. Um, and, you know, we still have to try and, and give our best. Um, and there it's, there's a lot of skill and sophistication in how we conduct ourselves and how we present our solidarity or humanity. Um, to people in these very personal moments. Um, And the better we are at handling it, uh, I think people can sense it and then people can take strength from it. Um, I I, I personally don't think it... it, um, So the way I say, the way I describe it is we, we bring all this, we bring our best to these situations and that inspires people or it makes it safer for people to to be their best and to and to go on and we want them to have more hope and more courage we want them to move forward uh, with these things Uh, and we to me it's 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 deliberate it's not it's not actually um just a random thing we actually know 
we've seen other people uh, that have overcome sadness. Well, maybe not overcome, but they've they've um, they've come to terms with sadness. Uh, they've been able to to put it in perspective, still respect it, still honor it, but still able to go on and 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 have a meaningful life. So we know from our own experience that we can make a difference by listening to people, but also it's, it's actually a lot of stuff we bring along with it. We bring our humanity, our own suffering to these situations. And we, the way we handle it ourselves can sometimes be seen by other people. And then they can, it gives them more hope and courage to, to deal with their issues as well. Yeah. And it's not easy. We'll be very honest it, because when we enter into a circumstance like this man's, you know, when he's in deep, deep pain, and we know it's not going to get better soon, and in fact, as you say, will probably get worse for a while, um, you have to learn how to be comfortable enough, at least comfortable enough, <laughs> to enter into that uncomfortability and and not react to it in a way that makes the person who's living it uncomfortable, you know, that it's safe for him, in this case, him to be able to share what he, what he's going through, what he's feeling safe to cry, safe to, to say things that wouldn't say to anyone else because of fear of judgment. And it's so important to, to be able to do that and to do it without again, without being uncomfortable. Um, so one of the things I, one of the things I like to, to keep in mind is when they actually are able to share all this stuff, it's actually, it takes a lot of strength actually to do that. It takes a lot of, it's actually oftentimes remarkable that they're able to do that. And I, and I, and I always try to give them as much credit as I can when they do that. And it doesn't always feel for them. It doesn't always feel that, that it's a wonderful thing they're doing, but I, this is one way why, how I try to inject positivity or, or hope into the situation. The fact that they are able to talk about it um, in the terms that they use uh, oftentimes in, you know, with so much love and so much um, courage. Uh, So I like to remind them if possible that this is what you're doing. You're actually expressing a lot of love and courage while you're doing this. And I always try to point that out if I, if I can. One of our favorite in in this situation, um, you're just evoking a lot of memories and and a lot of, a lot of feelings and thoughts for both of us uh, with this story. But one of the, our favorite points of that first day that we spent in, in New York with him was that when we went to lunch in Times Square at a restaurant and he was carrying a bag the whole time that we were walking around earlier in the day before lunch. And we, we wondered what was in the bag, but, and he kind of alluded that he would talk about that later. So we, you know, we let it go. And, but when we got to lunch and sat down and ordered our food and over, over the meal, he pulled the bag out you know, uh, from off the seat beside him. And it was a photo album of his life with his wife. Wow. Yeah. And when they were dating, when on their wedding day, uh, vacations they took together, he, he just really needed to share, needed somebody who was willing to look at these 
these photos that meant the world to him, especially now that she was gone. Um, and wow, that was just, that itself was sacred. Him wanting us to see these photos and as he explained each one and what the day was like, what, where they were, what they, what they did and what it, how it made him feel. And we, we could tell that, that he, he, that was a gift that he needed oh, to yes. have. A gift that he needed to have by somebody to listening to those stories. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that, that is, that is beautiful. Um, now, um, I do want to take it a little bit more analytical for a second here. Um, so, you know, all three of us have spoken in public and we know um, we can feed off the energy of the audience. Mm-hmm. So let me tie that back. Maybe um, when he was sharing all that stuff with you, the, the photo album and, you know, just showing you around uh, Manhattan, uh, I'm sure he could tell whether you people were good audiences or not. He can feed off your energy. When you see the album, you, you react, you know, something of, of, of personal importance is happening. And the way you conduct yourself, you quiet down, you, you, I'm sure you just try to block out everything else that, that was happening in, in the restaurant and you honor the moment. You, you, you make sure you, you react uh, with as much dignity and grace as you can, as you can muster because you know something important is happening right this moment. Um, and again, people, if you've sp- spoken in public, you know you can feed off the energy of the audience. If you've been to a, a concert or a comedy club as an audience, you know you don't heckle people. You don't. The way you react mm-hmm. as an audience can affect the performance. So a lot of the stuff people actually know, and um, we can we need to be able to uh, show people, hey, this is real life stuff. This happens, uh, and you know a lot of this already. And beyond that, you can actually kick it up a notch. You can use it in even more tricky situations. You can e- you can use it in more poignant situations. Um, but you know, uh, that's uh, I that's I'm I'm glad I brought that up, uh, um, and I'm glad you folks were able to to uh, add so much to uh, this particular uh, idea of being an audience or or slash witness. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. Mark, you, you've lived in New York City, and we would imagine you've at times read the New York Times. We, we ourselves love to read the, the newspaper and, and several articles. And one of our favorite columnists is David Brooks. Have you ever heard of David Brooks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we've quoted him in ideas. Our- yeah, he he you know he t- tends to to write about a lot of political matters, but then he also has just this extremely compassionate side where he writes a lot about relationships, and hence why we we connect with a lot of his stories. In a recent article that he wrote in the New York Times entitled Nine Non-Obvious Ways to Have Deeper Conversations," he he writes this. He talks. He he gives nine nine. Um, models or nine nine things that you can do that that can that can foster deeper relationship and i think it's the last one mm-hmm. and he calls it the number nine is the the midwife model like this and he wrote that sometimes people talk to solve a person's problem he says but the reverend margaret gunther wrote 
that a good conversationalist in these cases is like a midwife, helping the other person give birth to her own child. That means spending a lot of time patiently listening to the other person teach herself through her narration, bringing forth her unthought thoughts, sitting with an issue as it slowly changes under the pressure of joint attention to influence actions. And then he quotes neuroscientist Holly Sherat, that you need to give people a sense of control. And then books goes on, deeper conversations help people become explicable, there you go, <laughs> to each other and themselves. You can't really know yourself until you know how to express yourself and find yourself in another's eyes. Deeper conversation builds trust, the oxygen of society, exactly what we're missing right now. And then he quotes a woman named Amanda Ripley who wrote that humans need to be heard before they will listen. So as we wrap up our conversation today, what are your thoughts about what David Brooks has offered here and the, and the other people he's quoted about being like midwives and helping people, being with them, coaching them through, in this case, pain <laughs> and, 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 and new life um, as, a, as a midwife does. But how do we, you know, what, just tell us what you think about what he's written there. Uh, so a good conversation is certainly uh, very creative and full of potential. Um, it's, it can have a life of, of its own. Um, but what I like to do is I actually like to say that um, when we listen to people, we're actually lending our hearts and minds to others. Um, and as we've, we've spoken about uh, the man you met in Manhattan, you're, you're giving your best to other people. You're bringing your humanity to the conversation in a way that respects the other person's stories. Um, so that's very important. We're not just saying, oh, I, you know, I have a wife too and, and whatever. No, you're, doing, you're bringing your own humanity while respecting his story. And uh, why do we do that? We do that because we want people to speak outside of the box. We want them to speak outside of their comfort zone sometimes. So we want the man in Manhattan to um, put aside his hesitation, put aside his um, uh, fear of not being heard or not being understood um, and, and say the things that he has always wanted to say, say the things maybe even he never expected he would say or share the album he, he didn't think. Maybe he was holding it back, you know, I'll see how these guys are. And if it goes well... I'll share it. And maybe up to the last minute, he still wasn't entirely sure he wanted to share it. But you guys passed with flying colors and he shared it. Um, and it's not really um, the pressure of joint attention is one of the quotes he, he, he talks about. And I want to throw it back at you guys again. I'm going to do this to you uh, one more time. Uh, you once told me a story where you folks actually took someone to Hershey Park. Um, there was a woman who had never been to Hershey Park. And now to me, uh, a midwife doesn't really do that. And as far as I can tell, you folks did it because you could sense that this is something that would be that would have been good for her. Uh, it would have helped her to uh, gain uh, rest and appreciation for herself that she didn't expect. She didn't think she needed it. She didn't realize that she needed a break, 
and she didn't realize maybe she needed to appreciate herself. So you brought some, you brought your humanity, your understanding of suffering and recovery and hope and courage, and you brilliantly came up with this idea, hey, we'll take you to Hershey Park. And it was exactly what she needed. So this is what um, you, you brought your best to, to, to the conversation and you, you delivered, you did it. And she was, you can, you can talk about the story. I don't know actually how exactly it ended. Well, well first of all, again, I think we're overwhelmed by your memory and <laughs> you remember these stories and you obviously listen and that's that's just really incredible so we want to try that you you are modeling you are a model for for what listening really is about you remember people's stories well, and they're feeling yeah okay go well, ahead you 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 told me that story because it meant something to you so it, if yeah. it means something to you then i should try and you know there's some there's something important that happened to them. That's why they're telling me that. That's why. Yeah. Well, thank you. Well, we'll just tell it very quickly. And it actually, um, it, it was Hershey Gardens as opposed oh. to Hershey Park, which is okay. They're right beside. They're right be. They they're adjacent to one another and very similar. But she, the very fancy gardens that that uh, the the public you have to pay to go to. And, and this woman uh, really, really wasn't able to afford it. That was part of part of the issue. But so but we learned she she lived within almost literally walking distance uh, for years to these gardens and Hershey Park. And she'd never she hadn't been there. And so we said, you need to go. And, and we she agreed and, and we went and it was a really hot day. And we walked around the various sections of the garden. There was a rose garden. And she just, she literally bent down and smelled, sniffed every color of rose that they had there. And there were many, many, many. And she was like, um, she was like a little girl again. This is a woman in her 60s. She was a little girl again. In she her, was a kid in a candy store. Yeah, she really was for her. <laughs> and then they have a butterfly house there. And we went into the butterfly house and butterflies were flying all around and some of them would land on her and she just would giggle and laugh when that would happen and and then we went through a japanese garden which was very shaded and very cool and it felt really good because it was, it was so hot, hot day. that day and, and, and it, it was more soothing and there was a, a little a brook that ran through it and and then um after we were through most of the garden we we found a bench kind of an isolated bench underneath a, a huge tree and the three of us sat down on the bench and we had the most intimate conversation with her. And one of the questions we asked is, why hadn't you ever been here before? And this is what was the most poignant, the most poignant part of that whole day. She said, I never felt that I was worth it. That this fancy garden, she wasn't good enough to go and enjoy it and that was that was really hard for us to hear did and, you did you did you suspect something of that sort oh uh, yeah we kind of did yeah um, so but yeah. but still to hear it out loud yeah. and to have it confirmed we felt um, uh, pain for her 
you know, and, and our, our response was, well, you are worth it. And that's why we brought you here. today. Yeah, absolutely. So again, kudos to you guys for picking up that, that she needed something like this and then doing it, actually doing it. And so again, it's in some ways it's, I would say it's not always like a midwife. Uh, You are bringing your best to, to, and the best could include a trip to, you know, uh, it could be a, uh, the way I talk about it, I use a teddy bear from a, a little girl. It's her treasure toy. That's what I use as, as my example. But um, the best conversations are when we bring our best. We're able to bring our best to the conversation in, in whatever way, whatever manner. It could be accompanying someone to, to a park or whatever. Um, and then as a result of that, they experience a change. They see something they, more hopeful, more positive. Um, and when it happens, it's beautiful. It's, it's, and it, it is what we want to, to happen. It doesn't always happen. Sometimes it can take several tries and then it can try, we have, we may have to try several different things. Um, but then eventually we stumble upon something and it hits and, and, and that's what we try to do. We try to use our humanity to, um, affect something positive, uh, and, we bring that into the conversation, into our listening. That's that's how we do it. And again, to me, this is also an important leadership quality. Um, if you see people are struggling with a problem or a work problem or whatever, um, and you try to, to, you don't tell them what to do. You don't tell them how to solve it, but you bring your best and you get them to um, think outside the box, You know, say things that they never thought they would be able to say. Uh, they never probably would have... Uh, they would never planned on admitting that they, they felt worthless or they felt they, they uh, would never be, you know, fitted in such a place, would belong in such a place. Um, so it's, it's to, uh, so a lot of this, I do believe, comes together. It can, all of these ingredients uh, work together and you use the appropriate technique, the appropriate attitude at the right time, based on experience, based on what you know has worked before, and you listen, you care. Um, so I maybe I don't know if this is a good time for me to throw in a last little tip. Please, um, I guess I'll I'll go ahead. So please do. Um, so I have a my quick tip is you if in a conversation if you haven't learned anything, then it probably most probably means you haven't listened. So this could apply to whether you're talking to your spouse at at the end of the day, your family at the end of the day, or you're talking to a client or just to your colleagues. If in the middle of the conversation, you think about it and you say, hey, I have not learned anything in this conversation. If that happens, most likely you have not listened. Mm -hmm. So you can change and then, okay, I need to learn something. You know, if I talk to my wife, hey, what did you do today? Or, you know, what's going on? It's a quick tip. If you haven't learned anything, you probably didn't listen. Mark, and I'll add to that, uh, based on these two stories that we, we've shared today, especially in this season of the year, we are reminded often that it is truly better to give than to receive. And, and also in our giving of our listening and our presence, we receive so much more. I mean, Absolutely. in both of those stories, we received so much. Um, our, our hearts were full by the end of, of both of those experiences. 
Uh, absolutely. Um, I wish I had something more to say about that. I'll have to think about it. Maybe, <laughs> I, maybe I'll email you if I, if, but ab absolutely it's, uh, what you gain is a little bit different from what they gain. Um, but it's, you, you definitely gain a lot in the process. It's, it is a, a very, um, growing experience. Thank you, Mark. Mm -hmm. This has been um, a really, uh, for us, meaningful conversation. Oh, thank, thank you. Or uh, again, that the common, the common passion we all have for listening. And even though you are literally halfway around the world from <laughs> where we are here right now, we um, just that feel the connection very very strongly and it's mm. as if we're right here with with one another in person and we want to thank you for the time you've given for persevering when there were technological issues as we tried to get started <laughs> and for being creative and uh you know we all find you know finding a, a solution to make this all work and it's worked really well mm -hmm. and we're so grateful for your insights for your own model of good listening and for the the passion that you bring to this subject because we we do truly believe that it can change the world for the better if we listen oh, well i i believe in that too and uh you guys also did a lot of work up front uh you know for people who, who may not know if you're listening to this uh these two guys put in a lot of work they um they went through my book again uh, and my wife will tell you going through my book is, is not necessarily an easy thing uh, <laughs> these guys went through and dug up my old tweets and uh, did research and then uh, put in the uh, the quote from uh, David Brooks uh, recent article uh, these guys did a lot of work as well mm. uh, we do it because we love it yeah and uh, we hope it shows so thanks Mark so good to be Thank with you, you. We hope you enjoyed this interview today, this conversation with Mark Wong. One of the things that we really like about Mark is that he's passionate about having deeper conversations, and so are we. That's something that we, we all three have in common. We believe in this world where, where loneliness really is at epidemic levels, and, and I guess particularly now in the midst of a pandemic, when, when it's so much harder for people to connect with one another, to be able to have conversations of, of greater depth is really significant. And the fact that Mark understands that and is working toward that, has a vision about that, it really means a lot to us. One of the things that I appreciated most about this interview is the number of times Mark spoke in metaphor, something that both of us value much uh, we we utilize metaphor in our writing and in our speaking and our storytelling and mark did a lot of that in this interview and there were many good examples and things that we hope that all of you can walk away from and, and immediately add to your everyday life and um, we think that it's a lot of practical wisdom which we we're pragmatic people by nature and so pragmatic ideas are things that we can latch on to. We're also, we like the fact that Mark is a product of, in many ways, the Eastern Hemisphere of the world. Mm -hmm. 
and we are products of the Western Hemisphere. And yet, in spite of whatever differences that may bring to our lives and to our upbringings, to our understandings, there is that same common understanding about the need for listening, about the need for greater depth within our relationships. And um, that's something that uh, we also value, to be able, being able to find the common ground um, that we all as human beings share with one another. On that note, we're excited to express this opportunity that's been presented to someone to tell to in recent weeks. It's potentially to expand our work into Asia, into China. And uh, it couldn't be more timely after this interview that we've been having these conversations with some folks and they've expressed interest in having our work expand into Asia, specifically because mental health services are sometimes stigmatized. And so they appreciated someone to tell to's non-traditional approach to supporting people. And so we're in, in the process of having several conversations and, and we look forward to seeing where this may lead. But as Michael mentioned, just being able to find some, some commonalities among both cultures, and there are many, uh, is where we, we hope to begin. So today we, we just thank Mark Wong, our friend, for being on the podcast, for us having this delightful conversation today. And we thank you once again for joining us on the Someone to Tell It To podcast. And if you enjoy these podcasts, we, we invite you to support them. You can go on uh, patreon.com and that's a, a wonderful way to, to support the podcast series. You could also go to someonetotelitude.org and make a donation and designate it for, for podcasts. Uh, that would work too. And we are so grateful for everyone who values uh, these conversations and um, who is able to support them. So we uh, hope to... Uh, hear from you and we hope to that you will you will join us again so until we listen again goodbye <laughs>